0: cat thing comes up. Brian is doing a great job back there. Now for our sermon. Mr. Bonibus Graceland. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It is surprising to see right there. I guess I turned on the microphone right just this time. <clears throat> Christ spoke to the people sometimes using analogies and, and uh, parables to get across the message of salvation and to help those who heard him understand what the message of salvation was all about. And he gave them things that they would be familiar with, things that they experienced in their everyday life. And so he used those things to explain spiritual things, to for them to somehow see the spiritual meaning behind those things. Now some understood the spiritual meaning, some didn't. And we might ask, well, why? In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, the Apostle Paul explained the way he delivered the message of salvation, the way he was going to deliver that message to the the Corinthians. And that there was a spiritual foundation to to this this way he was going to do it, because he said, and in verse 1 he said, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellent excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified so you know at that time the Greeks they like to listen to great oratories they like to listen to great convincing speeches they like to hear the ins and outs of things that would make them understand the philosophies uh, of life the meaning of life but Paul was determined not to know anything among them, but Jesus Christ crucified. And he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You know, Paul could have referred to all the uh, great writers. He could refer to all the philosophers and their writings in explaining things about Jesus Christ. But he chose a different approach. He was with them in weakness. You know he said my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power of God so you know he was not as hot I suppose in speaking as some of these other speakers that came across the Corinthian area and he wanted to let God's own word reach the spiritually discerning the spiritually led that your faith in verse 5 should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God so when you think about the power of God there's a lot to think about in that particular word power of God so we see that even though he didn't want to bring up a whole lot of arguments that philosophers might use Instead, he chose the simplicity of Jesus Christ being crucified. And that is where we come to understand just what Christ did for us. In verse 6, howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. You know, nonetheless, there are those in Paul's audience who were smarter than he perhaps, who had a lot of letters behind their name, who knew a lot more than he did. Them that are perfect in, in such knowledge. Howbeit we speak in wisdom, he said, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to nothing. So he is referring to the princes of this world, those outstanding leaders, those people of rank, men of letters, and so on. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. Which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So there are things given the people of God that some don't understand, mainly because they don't want to, or maybe because there's that veil that is that has given them the spiritual blindness that is uh, commonplace in this age. But those that are blessed with the Spirit of God and given the Spirit will hear and understand those things, the wisdom of the spiritual uh, truths that are revealed in the words of God in Scripture. And the reason is because they seek Him. They seek truth. They seek peace. They seek things that will lead them into a better hope in life. Verse 8, Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So had they, you know, had they paid attention to Moses and had they paid attention to the prophets, they would not have uh, crucified Christ. They would have believed him, that he was the prophesied Messiah. Verse 9, but as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us. He has revealed it unto us by his Spirit. And the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. But God has, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. So, the Father, so God sees the longing heart of those who seek him, who seek his truth, who seek his guidance, we all want peace in this age of ours. We all want to see things put in a perfect way. But we don't. We don't see that. But God knows those who are longing for that. And as we come on the Sabbath day, a day of rest, a day of looking forward to a time of peace, God sees that longing in each and every one of us. For uh, Verse uh, 12, Now we have received... We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, that is the worldly man, doesn't receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the Spirit of God that helps us to understand these words that we read in Scripture and in the Bible. Matthew Henry wrote, he said in, in uh, uh, quoting it word for word, but instead of being led and guided by worldly principles, the apostles had the revelation of these things from the Spirit of God. And the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God due to pride or carnal uh, reasoning. But the sanctified mind discerns the real beauties of holiness. But the power of, the, of discerning and judging about common and common and natural things is not lost. But the carnal, the carnal man is a stranger to the principles and pleasures and actings of the divine life. So he said it is a great privilege of Christians that they have the mind of Christ revealed to them by the Spirit. So, we have the mind of Christ, as we have read in the Scripture, and that's an awesome thing to think about. Now, the Father, Christ, can instruct us, if we have that mind, that discerning mind, of what Christ is getting at when, he, when we read His words, when we read the Scriptures that have to do with our walk in life. For example, Christ said that He was or is, the good shepherd. How well do we know him as the good shepherd? In John chapter 10, we find this declaration of Jesus Christ saying to us, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. You know, though he would die, he would receive the resurrection of life, showing us that his works of righteousness pave the way for everlasting life. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, he said, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of the Father. Now there was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings, and and many of them said, he has a devil. He's mad. Have you heard what he's been saying? And others said, these are not the words of him that has a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? So they were confused a little bit about the miracles that he did, but then again, uh, uh, Christ was uh, speaking to them in analogies and metaphors and parables and stories that they did not quite discern. And it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of the Dedication, and it was winter. And so Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and then came the Jews. You know, these are the spiritual uh, leaders, the priests uh, that were there, the religious leaders. And they said unto him, How long do you make us doubt? If you be the Christ, tell us plainly. You know, don't beat around the bush with all these uh, analogies and other things. Tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, He said, I told you. And you believed not. You believe not the works that I do in my Father's name, because, you know, they bear witness of me. But you believe not, because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. As parents, you know, sometimes we may, uh, you know, when we have children, we, we say, follow me, we'll go here, we'll go there, and they tag right along. And so they trust you. They know that you know where you're going. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my grandson and I were out walking uh, near the pond where we live, and you know there's a lot of weeds and a lot of stick tights that grow there. And uh, but we made our way through those, and we came to the pond, and we needed to get up to the hill, uh, the slope of the pond, and um, so I had this long uh, stick or a staff with me because I can push you know the weeds aside and sort of make a clearing for us to uh, walk through. Um, he stayed behind. He didn't follow me directly because he didn't have the the kind of stick that I had. And he indicated to me that he wanted a stick to uh, do what I was doing and push those weeds aside so he could follow me. And uh, so I went up the hill, uh, the slope, and I found a stick and tossed it down to him. He's about three or four yards away, but you know, being much smaller than I and the bank being kind of steep, uh, he still wasn't sure. And so he began his way up, and I knew it was kind of steep because my feet were kind of sliding out from under me. And anyway, uh, he, he couldn't make it up. So I used um, my longer stick, and he grabbed hold of it, and I pulled him through. But he used that stick, and he would push away those weeds and stick tights as we walked along. He was following me because he trusted me. He, he knew, or he pretty much knew that I, he thought I knew where I was going. And... <clears throat> so that's the way we are we trust our lord jesus christ in leading us through this life uh many years ago uh mr mcgrew i can't think of his first name right now but we were looking for roy yeah roy we were looking for uh <laughs> lucille's house she invited us over for dinner that one time and uh i said i i know where she lives And, uh, of course, I'm a stranger, pretty much a stranger to Tulsa. Small town and everything. So I said, well, follow me. I I know where it is. Well, he followed me, and I realized that I was lost. (laughs) And um, I had the address in my briefcase, but I think uh, it was, I forgot the the combination to my briefcase. (laughs) (laughs) And so I didn't want to. Roy to think I didn't know where I was going and we talk about this sometime you know I'll tell you in a minute anyway I had to pry open that briefcase but it was probably about 20 minutes 30 minutes later that we finally found where Lucille lives and every time I see him I said well are you gonna follow me today (laughs) we we laugh about that but uh, it really happened and sometimes if you don't know where you're going You just don't know where you're going or what's going to happen. Sometimes you may end up there. Now we have GPS and all that stuff now. So you just put your name in there and we can find you pretty well. So our Lord and our Savior has made it easy for us to locate him because he knows where we are. He knows where we are in every trouble and trial and situation. And he is willing to lead us if we are willing to follow him and put our trust in Him. But we are His sheep. We know His voice. And He knows us. There's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40, beginning uh, verse 10, behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His work before Him. So we have a shepherd who is strong that is going to disarm this world's weapons of war and set mankind on the proper course of peace and righteousness. That's a time coming. And in verse 11 it says he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather with... He shall gather the lambs with his arms, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. So these prophecies were in the Bible, in the Old Testament, for uh, those to read. But some understood, some did not. And then we see in verse 12 that where he goes on to describe the greatness of God, the greatness of this shepherd that leads us. And... If anyone in our society today, in our age today, would just look at the scripture that describes God, they might have a change of heart in knowing why they should follow Jesus and why they should do the things that lead to righteousness. For in verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? You ever held water in your hand? You know, it's just a comparison that... that the prophet was going on to make about the greatness of God in the only way that he could describe it. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And he's referring to the rivers and the streams and the lakes and the oceans. All of this that we see about us. And meted out heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. There's a lot of you know, stars in our solar system, uh, it's in our own galaxy, for example, that uh, an Olympic-sized swimming pool, half of it in sand, would be comparable to the number of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, the grains of the sand representing the stars. It's an awesome thing when you think about the power and the creation of God. Who has uh, directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, has taught him. With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding. Sometimes those things cross my mind. It probably has crossed your mind too. How, who taught God? Where did God come from? How did he come into existence? How does he know all of these things? And so... Isaiah is wondering the same thing. Behold, the nations are as a drop of the bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he takes up the isles as a very little thing. Drop on down to verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sits upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in that brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth as vanity. Down to 25. To whom, to whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal? Saith the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high. And behold, who has created these things, that brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one fails. Why say you, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord God, the creator of the ends of the earth, Faints not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. And he gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Sometimes we may wonder, how am I going to endure this particular trouble or this trial? Well, we have a shepherd that leads and guides us. He gives power to the faint when we are weak, and he increases our strength in in many ways. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly faint. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So there's a time coming when we won't have to worry about being tired or faint. A time when our earthly bodies are going to be immortal, changed. And the shepherd is leading us in that direction. David the patriarch wrote, he said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we're all familiar with with Psalm 23. And we know that the sheep is one of the most uh, helpless, shy of creatures. Shepherds had to watch over them and protect them from wild animals and from being stolen by thieves. So shepherds had to be dedicated to their duty. They had to be uh, there, ever-present, watching them. And it was really not as easy as some may seem, and some today you know, might think, well, what is a shepherd? What's his life like? Shepherding sounds easy. And so many in this age do not spiritually discern that Christ, as a good shepherd, watches over his sheep, watches over his people, watches over each and every one of us in some way. In Genesis 31... Jacob, of course, you know, is discussing some serious matters with Laban. And verse 38, he said to him, This twenty years have I been with you. Thy hues and the she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beast I brought not unto you, I bear the loss of it. Of my hands did you require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was, in the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in your house. I served ye fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your cattle, and you have changed my wages ten times. But this was an example of a good shepherd, just as Christ sometimes has to put up with sometimes our, our pleadings. But he is most gracious to do those things. Christ keeps watch over his sheep. And like a shepherd leading his sheep to green grass and, and to water. Things that are uh, for their needs. He leads them there. And he leads them safely back into the fold. He knows his sheep and how, how many there are. And Christ knows you. He knows you by name. He knows as the scripture says he knows the number of hairs on your head. In Ezekiel 34, it says that God is not pleased with every shepherd. In verse 10, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am against the shepherds. He's talking about the shepherds who are feeding themselves, misleading with false doctrines, making merchandise of, of the flock, or fleecing the flock, so to speak, And I will require my flock at their hands, and cause them to cease from feeding the flock, neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be meat for them. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold I, even I, will both search my sheep, and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. So God is going to restore his people, to reteach them his ways and to restore uh, them by revealing his ways unto them and I will feed them in good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be there shall they lie in a good fold and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel I will feed my flock I will cause them to lie down saith the Lord God and he said in verse 16 I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away And I will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong, and I will feed them with judgment. Just as we at one time were weak and sickly and in need of God's restoration, God came to save sinners such as me, such as you, such as everyone who will turn their eyes upon Jesus Christ. John chapter 6, verse 37, verse 37, Stomach growling, it's an iron stomach, see, Verse 37, all that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. So there is like what some uh, people, when they come into an office, they say, my door will always be open. Christ is saying the same thing. Him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. He will welcome those who turn to him to be their shepherd. Because we are all gifts in a way from God to Jesus Christ, for Him to help us along, for Him to guide us. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me. That of all which He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. So we as uh, the sheep in His fold, He watches over and protects us and will his, his will is to deliver us unto that day that is coming. And this is the will of Him that sent me. That everyone which sees the sees Son and believes on Him may have everlasting life. Everlasting life. And we know that the Father has the power to do that for us. The Jews then murmured, at him because he said I'm the bread which came down from heaven so we see another uh, another uh, spiritual thing that we are to understand that Jesus is the bread sent down from heaven but the Jews murmured because he said that and in verse 42 and they said is not this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? We know he was born there Bethlehem. We know that he's a son of a carpenter. Jesus therefore answered, and he just said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. You know, he didn't go into any elaborate detail about the origins of his birth or, or his family. There were others that did that, but he didn't answer them in that way. Say, well, I was born this and I was born that. In verse 44 he said no man can come unto me and if you put your name in there can come unto me except the father which has sent me draw him so somehow some way God has called you to him through his son Jesus Christ and it says and I will raise him up at the last day it is written in the prophets and they shall be t- all taught of God every man therefore that has heard and has learned of the father comes unto me. Not that any man has seen the Father, except he which is of God has seen the Father. Truly I say unto you, he that believes on me, he that believes on me has everlasting life. You have everlasting life because you believe in him. You have everlasting life. Verse 48, he said, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Truly I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, And drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, it's food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So these are comparisons, you know, to bread and to water. One for physical needs, the other for our spiritual needs, In the saving power of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for for us and for every life that is. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. So you see how the Jews that were listening were, it was coming across to him as a head scratcher. What does he mean by that we eat his flesh, that we drink his blood? You know, that's smarts of cannibalism and so on. It just, it began to offend him. As a living Father has sent me, And I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. And so these things said he in the synagogue and taught in Capernaum. And many, therefore, of his disciples, there were many of his disciples that were there. And when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can, who can hear it? And some, you know, left. And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? You know, there were great multitudes that followed Jesus. They had seen and heard about his miracles by the shore of the feeding of the people with loaves and bread. And they knew about the miracle of the manna under Moses. And they came to see even more miracles. And so, uh, even to exalt Christ as king. And so they came to him, as back up in John 6 to verse 22. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, except the one whereunto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. After that the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus wasn't there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. And then he tells them to labor not for the meat which perishes, but for the meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him has God the Father sealed. Then, they, then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered, and he said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent." And they said therefore unto him, Well, what sign show you then that we may see and believe you? What do you work? For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst." We know that bread is basic to life. We always look forward to it, you know, as a part of our most every meal. And, um, you know, when we uh, partake of it today, if there's enough bread to go around, you know, sometimes I get on the end and there's not enough bread there. But uh, we all look forward to the bread. It's, it's an essential to life, and it's been symbolic of all that sustains life on this, on, on this earth. And Christ declares that he is the symbol of life from heaven. So we know that bread must be eaten in order to nourish our bodies. And in like manner, we have to partake of Jesus Christ every day. And how do we do that? We do that through reading his word, and meditating on his word, and living according to his word. And so like bread, it must become a part Of our life a part of uh, of us to sustain our spiritual life as in the Lord's Prayer he said uh, we should ask God to give us this day our daily bread and Christ is our bread of life now at first you know the disciples found the saying of Christ partaking of Christ's flesh and blood a hard saying but they trusted in his words for they said to him You have the words of life. And they didn't leave him. When Christ said, will you leave me also? So symbolically, you know, at the Last Supper, Christ explained the bread and the wine. And he gives us words to live by. And his sacrifice assures us of everlasting life to come. And like a shepherd, he leads his flock throughout this life. And he leads us by the still waters. Let's go to the Psalm 23. We know this by heart. And uh, I also know it by heart. But, you know, at my age, sometimes my brain freezes up. It downloads really slow. And I forget. But it says, as David said, pointed out, As Scripture points out to each and every one of us, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd, I shall not want. So David expresses his faith. And we also need to retain this same belief that we will never go wanting for the essentials and that God will provide for us in every situation, somehow, some way, strength in time of weakness, hope in times of doubt. Wisdom in times of trial. Verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Only through Christ can we find contentment. Can we find calmness in the face of whatever trial there might be. Whatever worry there might be on in our minds. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So we are for sure promised that Christ will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and that nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. As Romans chapter 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sore, sword. For as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. The scripture is telling us of every possible situation that we might find ourselves in that Jesus Christ will never leave or forsake us. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So in this life, you know, we shall have tribulation. And Christ will know every sorrow, every pain. And he will lead us past those things. And how many of us do when we find ourselves in some situation that we pray, perhaps silently, asking God to help us, to rescue us, to lead us, to help others. He will lead us past those things. Hebrews 4, verse 15 we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and to help in time of need. So we must continue feeding on God's word. Letting It be our guide. Letting it lead us through the stick tights of this world. And to pray without ceasing. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. God will bless. And enemies will behold that blessing that he bestows upon you. The crown of glory awaits Those who overcome, there are fountains of blessings that will be there. And as David said in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So like David, we are to be confident in the good shepherd. We do not follow a man except as he follows Jesus Christ. But no man is perfect, only Christ is. And as we follow him through the teachings of his word through the Holy Bible, words that are spiritually discerned by those in whom his spirit leads, we have a sure guide in our life. And as I was uh, writing these words today, sometimes, you know, as someone who comes up here with words to get across, you often wonder, well, it seems like I've preached this before or I've said this before And uh, I sometimes wonder well you know who's gonna hear who's gonna discern the message that is within this this particular sermon or any sermon that you might hear and I came across a thought that really touched me as I was doing this and whenever you're following someone there are times when you feel like you don't want to uh, go any further you know, it's like uh, Peter when he saw Christ walking on the water that he was suddenly elated. Hey, I can do this too because I trust in Christ. And He goes out on the water and he walks, but he loses his faith and he begins to sink. And so there are the others, you know, they were, I guess they were a little bit smarter than Peter. They stayed on board the boat. But there are times when you don't, you don't know for sure where the direction you're going. And I pictured the nail-scarred hand of my Savior, of your Savior, that reaches out to each and every one of us. Someday we will see that nail-scarred hand or those nails were put into the palm of his hand holding out to us. And we may not see it right now, but we can imagine it. We know that Jesus Christ is holding out his nail-scarred hand For us to follow reaching out and he will lead us and he will guide us if we are willing to follow him and to trust him there are so many things in this life that can cause us doubt but that particular thought touched me and it teared me up to know that Jesus Christ laid down his life not only for me but for my loved ones and for those uh, people that are to come and for this congregation, for whatever congregation uh, we know of, that every person in this world, that his life is, is a saving power for all of mankind. And so those things that he went through for us is, is one of the most precious things that we have to think about. Now, a shepherd is one who tends his sheep. And Christ came to save that which, was, which is lost, just as he came to save us which were lost, giving us the way, giving us the truth, and giving us the life. Jesus Christ is our shepherd. He's ever there to lead. That is, if we be willing to follow. And he is the bread of life if we will just feed upon his word. In Matthew 28, chapter 19, uh, Matthew twenty-eight, verse 19, how deeply spiritual are these sayings of Christ to his disciples and to us. He said, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name that is in the honor of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So, when we are in trouble, when we need the bread of life, when we need a shepherd, here are some things to remember. In Psalm 55, it says to cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. And in Psalm 107, it says, They cried to the Lord in their troubles, and He rescued them. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And in Psalm 34, 4, it says, I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. And in Psalm 34, 7, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fears Him and delivers him. And that's the shepherd, the good shepherd that we worship. And ships appear.